This is Wayne McCullough with Simple Talk Radio, reporting in from Dallas, Texas. As always, welcome back, gentle listeners. It's so fun to have you. I say welcome back because we've been tracking our numbers and we continue to grow a little bit each week. And, and that really brings me joy because if we're growing, it means we're touching people's hearts. So here I am in Capex, Capex Studio, KEPX, with Kevin Eveling, sitting right next to me, um, superior producer. And as you guys know now, we moved oh several months ago, and it's just been a huge blessing, fabulous studio. And Kevin is a joy to work with. So, well, thank you for the kind words, Wayne. It's good to see you. Absolutely. He's been staying strong throughout the coronavirus lockdown. And I should say that that's where we are right now. Just to mark this and, and check it, that we are in the middle of this lockdown, as, although as we were coming out. So it's been a unique time, and I haven't been in the studio during that, and I'm really excited to be back. I was just telling my wife, doing things you love brings you life and joy and it's hard to make the time for this. I have a day job, but whenever I walk out of here, I feel inspired. And part of that being inspired is because I have awesome guests on. And when I bring those guests on, as you guys know, the big five Fs are very important to me. It's the way I run my business, the way I run my life, which is faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. However you order those is up to you. I put God first because I believe that has to be at the top of the order. But for anybody in in and Michael will get in this today, my guest, who I'm going to tee up in one second. But if any of those are out of order to a significant level, it's going to create general chaos in your life. So you can be the healthiest person in the world, and if your finances are in disarray, then your health isn't going to do you much good. And I put the health under fitness, or if you have everything in the world and all the money in the world, yet you aren't taking care of yourself, and your health is failing because of that, which includes drugs and alcohol abuse, mental health, then the money doesn't even mean anything. So we want to bring the listeners tools to deal with that and tools to help and really inspirational um, guests. And, and that is exactly where we get today with Michael Moulton. He has a significant show that's across every digital channel you can find, and we'll get to all that at the end, Michael. To, to tee Michael up, we met through effectively the head pastor of my church, Dr. Jeff Warren. Um, we both have massive respect for him. A couple of people would want us to get together, and then through Jeff, we had the good fortune of meeting, which that even took a couple months, but it finally happened. So Michael was a significant home builder in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for 25 years. I'd say one of the premier home builders in Texas. Um, I mean, you can still see his homes around town in the park cities that are beautiful. And during that time, you were born and raised in Plano, a fabulous family, and but there was a problem, which ultimately led to 27 arrests, four years in prison, but then you were delivered through a miracle. What I like about this story, I'm not talking to, this happened to somebody in 1989. I mean, this is fresh, right? So 2017 is when you began the arc, and the miracle of a God moment is what I call it. And they are out there, and they exist, and this is a story of a guy that should be dead, at a minimum locked away in prison for much longer than he was, and the redemption, and the redemption is still coming. And and I believe Michael has worked from then to keep these things alive. He's, I'm looking at him right now. He's ripped. He's got strong faith. He has a woman he loves in his life. He's engaged. He has his friend group around him. Um, and I know he's building his finance back up to his show. So, Michael Moulton, welcome. Thank you so much, Wayne. Good to see you. Thank you. So, it, it's you know what we like to talk about is everybody has a Genesis story. And you can go back to when you're five or wherever that starts for you. 
and then there's the during, and then there's the after. And, and I call that the arc, right? So there's the arc, and then we come out of that arc, and where are we today? I've heard your story. It, it is very, it's it's fairly succinct on the way it builds, and then the moment. I mean, it is a movie, let's be honest, or a book at a minimum. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'd love, to, love for you just to tell the story, and then I'll interject with questions as we go. And then at the end, we'll do a lightning round, which I'll explain, which is just some some quick fire questions, but we'd love just to hear from you. Well, thank you so much for letting me uh, be on. It's an honor. Um, and it's, uh, it's truly an honor, you know, to, to come in full circle because there was a, a, a long period of my life, especially in early incarceration days that it's, I would go into my head and I would think about, you know, where I was at and who I would do business with and run around with. And, and I'd get in my head and say, I'll never see those guys again. There's no telling what they think about me, mm-hmm. you know, and to be sitting here with you and, um, is, is such a, I was just thinking about it when I was, when I was in the restroom and, and you know, what a blessing it is full circle, you know, truly a full circle. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I am, um, I'm a recovering drug addict alcoholic. And, and whenever I speak, I make it very, very clear to people that, I drank alcohol and I did drugs for the effect. That's recovery. That's why I did it. That is as honest as I can be because I didn't drink alcohol or do drugs because I was dealt a bad deck. All right. I I didn't drink alcohol and do drugs because I was molested or abused or, or, or things were done wrong to me. That's not why I did it. I did Mm -hmm. it because of the effect, because it became my God of my understanding and it 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 made the pain go away temporarily uh just long enough for me to want to do more um being a drug addict and alcoholic it's a disease it's cunning it's very baffling it's powerful the disease speaks to me in my own voice uh the disease tells me that i don't have a disease and here's what's the scary part of it is that the disease is very patient um so, um, you know, there's controversy out there. Is it a disease or not a disease? Well, today I treat it as a, as a disease and I can live happy, joyous, and free, or I don't treat it as a disease and I die. Mm-hmm. The more sober I become and the more recovery that I get, the more I start realizing that it's a spiritual stronghold. It is a, it's a true spiritual stronghold um, addiction, and today I have um, the spiritual stronghold of recovery. I love what you said about the five uh, Fs, yeah. you know, um, I'm here to say, and I say this on the show and on, and I say this to the, to everybody who will listen to me is that I truly believe that when God's number one in my life, um, life's pretty simple. Um, I struggle with that hourly sometimes, you know, I know what to do, but I'm flesh and I'm insane. And, and, um, I want to take the power back sometimes. And, um, I have to realize that I'm powerless over it. But my personal story is, is that like I said, I grew up in Plano my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, it's interesting, you know, with the Haggard family, I'll name drop the Haggard family and um, the Goodmans, you know, mm-hmm. Goodman Homes. And um, and I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I grew up in a very high end of family. We didn't, we, we had money. We, did, we didn't, you know, we weren't poor. We weren't homeless. Um, my dad was an extremely hard worker and provided, and we lived way above um, normal means. And, um, and I grew up at Glen Eagles Country Club in Plano, and I grew up playing golf. And um, 
And I was introduced to alcohol at a very young age. And I'll never forget when I was mowing the yard at the age of 10. And my dad doesn't drink. You know, I've spilt more beer in one night than he's drinking in his whole life. Mm -hmm. But he happened just to come out in the front yard with a Schlitz beer. Oh, I remember it, yeah. With the cap that you could pull off and flick in the street. Remember those? Oh, the, yeah. they, they detach. So, And the reason why I remember the detail of it so much, this is what's so amazing. I remember the direction that the lawnmower was facing. I remember the clouds in the sky. I remember the temperature. I'm 10 years old. And as I'm telling the story, I can taste it. I remember that first drink. And I remember that something happened. Something happened. My stomach just melted like icing. And the anxiety and the fear and everything just dissipated. And I just knew something was different. Now, did I run off to the garage the next day and start drinking? No, because I didn't really know what it was a result of. But I knew something happened. But alcohol became my God. At that a was very, at 10? That was at 10 years old. And, and so I knew that... Um, you know, it something was different. Alcohol was 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 in our house. It wasn't abused. It, this is not a. You know, I didn't grow up in you know an alcohol infested home, but it was just a part of our life. Mm-hmm. You know, and people would drink when they'd come over, and friends would come over, and and they drank like normal people. I didn't see anything crazy. Um, I just knew I was different at a young age. I just I just knew that I just didn't fit in, and um. You know, I just remember the first time that I had a high school crush and she broke up with me and I attempted suicide. You know, I went and swallowed a bunch of pills in my mom's medicine cabinet, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was just I, I had bizarre solutions for simple problems starting at a very young age. Um, I was a compulsive liar. I couldn't tell the truth, you know, and and I was a hustler and and um, and the men and I grew up and the men that I idolized, the father figures in my life. My dad was a workaholic. My dad wasn't home. My dad was a great dad. He did the best he could with the tools he had. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't around. He was always sick. He was a kidney transplant recipient. I can't imagine, you know, him growing, you know, us growing up, him trying to survive, you know, provide for the family um, and feeling bad all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And so. I grew up at Glen Eagles Country Club, and the men in the locker room raised me. I was a good golfer, and I learned how to gamble, and I listened to how these men treated women, and that's what I thought that's how you did. So mm-hmm. I just grew up this reckless lifestyle, and then straight out of high school, I went to the pro golf tour and caddied on the pro golf tour for Lanny Watkins for five years. You mm-hmm. know, And you can't make this stuff up, and right. what a great place to go for a drug addict and alcoholic uh, that I get to um, live the Byron Nelson every week of the year. I mean, you know, Byron Nelson, we always had a blast at the Byron Nelson, then it would go away. Well, I got to live that life every single week, also caddying for one of the best golfers in the world at the time. So uh, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then after the 95 Ryder Cup, I got off the road and went to work for uh, Mr. Goodman and got into the real estate and home building business and loved it. And it became a drug of my choice, Mm. you know, building homes. Um, I got married and I married a a girl that I've known since kindergarten. We grew up together and um, I I could say I married my best friend, you know, and and we were, you know, doing great. And, you know, we started our own home building company, Michael Moulton Luxury Homes, and we started building homes and all the master plan custom developments at the time that used to happen. That that no longer happens anymore. And um, and then we moved to the park cities and started building in the park cities. And, you know, work and money were my God. 
Um, but and in so two, what year was that? When was that? This is this approximately late nineties. Late nineties. Late nineties. Okay. Because in two thousand two, uh, we lived actually in McKinney at the time, and that's where my paths crossed with Dr. Jeff Warren. Uh, Dr. Jeff Warren was the pastor uh-huh. at First Baptist McKinney. And I'll never forget, I hated church. I didn't want the God deal. I didn't, want it, I didn't grow up in the God deal. I didn't grow up in church. You know, we're just completely agnostic, you know. And, and I went to church with my wife, and I saw Jeff Warren, heard and saw Jeff Warren preach. And I go, I like this dude. This guy's really cool mm-hmm. and, um, and talented. Oh, my God, the guy's just so talented. He did, I would go to church just to see what tricks he was going to pull right. off next. Paint a picture, yeah, play he, guitar. Yeah, he's painting a picture. He's turning sand into angels. And, and then he's yeah. he's drawing stuff on a screen and turns it upside down. It's a picture of Jesus. And, that one. Yeah, and then yeah. he's playing the guitar. <laughs> this guy's a freak. And then on top of that, he can dunk on the basketball court. He's a heck of a basketball player. So I was like, going, man, this guy, this is kind of cool. So it kind of hooked me in. And... um. But in 2002, on a Monday night, I went to watch Monday Night Football with some friends, um, and they found me in a hotel on Thursday. Um, I never came home. And, you know, at the time, my wife was really on me at the time of my drinking. My drinking had escalated at a very high level um, because that was my way of life. And I was struggling with... with um, I didn't know how to have a relationship. You know, life was becoming unmanageable. So in 2002, I went to Betty Ford and checked myself in at Betty Ford. And I'll never forget this. This is where the seeds started being planted. And Betty Ford was an incredible place. And I got there and um, I was introduced to a 12-step recovery program. And, you know, steps one and two talks about, number one, getting honest. And then step two is you find some hope. Um, and then step three, that G word came out. It was God. And I didn't want anything to do with it because mm-hmm. I thought God thought I was bad and he was good and he didn't like me. And the disgusting things that I was doing in my addiction, I was like going, man, he doesn't want any part of me. He doesn't want me on his team. And so I would just hang out with the men who raised me because they accepted me. That was mm-hmm. my community. And I'll never forget at Betty Ford, a counselor pulled me aside. And at the time, I started having these little, I look back at it now, these spiritual awakenings at the birth of my two boys. And that's when I knew something out there was bigger than me, but I couldn't put my arms around it. I love those boys. Mm-hmm. And and I coached football in the Park Cities, and I coached, you know, we lost, we'd go to the Super Bowl every year, and Stephen Jones would beat me every year, you know, come down to the last second, and, and it was just a, so much fun. And then my youngest son was one of the best motocross racers in the country, and we traveled the country racing motocross, and and um, it became my drug. It became and all during this time, you're building homes. I'm building homes. And are you sober at this time? No, back I'm, from- I'm not sober. And- so you didn't, You because well, I missed that, you came back from Betty Ford. So I'm I, as I'm well I, I'm painting the picture of my love for these boys yeah. and then I'm at Betty Ford and my counselor pulls me aside and he says he goes Michael you will never get sober until you have a spiritual awakening he just checked me and I go what are you talking about he goes step three in the twelve step program is we make a decision to turn our will and life over to the care of God as we understand Him and I didn't want any part of that and he says you need to describe or create your God 
okay? Because your perception of God is so skewed, you will never experience true sobriety until you do this. And I said, so what does that look like? And he says, you talk about how much you love your boys and how much you would do anything in the world for them. He says, if those boys were to cuss you out, spit in your face, and walk out on you, and you never saw them again, and then 25 years later come knock on your door and you open the door and they're standing there, would you let them back in your house? I said, absolutely. And he said, you just described your God. And that was the first time I kind of got some chills. And that seed was planted. But when I came back from Betty Ford, and this is real powerful for families, this disease is a family disease, right? I walk, I literally fly back from Betty Ford and walk into a surprise party at my house with all the church members from First Baptist McKinney, Jeff and Stacy Warren, you know, their kids. It was beautiful, okay? But when those people left the house, I had an angry wife, all right? And I had angry in-laws, and they were very mad at me, very mad at me because they said I went on vacation. Well, now that I look back at it today to help people, these people weren't not working a program of recovery. So each day I was trying to get better, they were getting more and more resentful, all right? So I walked back into this cesspool, and I'm basically, I've got the walls up immediately, and I'm going back to my old behaviors and just living a lie and scared to talk. I'm walking on eggshells, and I start getting resentful again because if this is what sobriety, Wayne, is all about, I don't want any part of it. So the behavior started. I wasn't drinking, okay, but I was sneaking, smoking cigarettes. I was cussing like a sailor. I was, uh, the behaviors were there, okay, but I wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. I'm sober. No, I wasn't sober. I was miserable inside. So I even got to the point where I was, I really got aggressive in the real estate. I was making land purchases that did not make sense. I made some land purchases and flipped them and I don't know how I pulled it off. You know what I mean? It just, none of it made sense. I even questioned the buyer. Like, why would you even buy this from me? I bought it high and you're buying it higher. And, you know, I was just, just stuff wasn't making sense, but I was doing it because I was addicted to the thrill of the deal. Yeah, the risk was the new drug, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the thrill of the deal was really pushing me. So this is alcoholism without drinking, Right. right? There's no God in my life. And I'm coaching football and all this stuff. I'm doing you know, buying stuff. I'm trying to fill this void with chaos is what I'm doing. Um, we're disconnected from the church. Um, my wife and I are just roommates in the hallway. I'm living in Preston Hollow at the time. And I'll never forget this is, um, she had a big falling out with her parents and we didn't talk to her parents for like five years. And in 2008, at the end of 2008, my cousin committed suicide. And so as a family, we all go down to New Braunfels for the funerals at, and I'm sorry, Austin, where the funerals at. And I realized that it took a death for all the family to come together. Of course, you know, my brother is a very well-known home builder in the Mm -hmm. Park Cities, does a great job. We're complete opposites. I mean, just complete opposites. And, and so we're down there and the family's together and I always craved family. I always wanted that. And I said, man, it is sad that it takes the death to bring everybody together. 
And as we're driving back, I told my wife, I said, I want your mom and dad to be back in our life. And she says, no, I don't want them. And I said, well, we're going to do that. So I'm trying to make men's. Now, see, one of my greatest character defects, Wayne, is I'm a people pleaser. Okay. Mm. It made me a good home builder. But my biggest character defect is I'm a people pleaser. Right. So we make amends with her parents um, and they come back into our life. And then this is at the end of 2008. On January 4th, 2009, I wake up and I'm taking my youngest son uh, to basketball game that I'm coaching. And my son calls and says, mom's on the floor flopping like a fish. And my wife had had a massive AVM brain hemorrhage and was taken to Baylor Hospital downtown and was in the hospital for three years, was mm-hmm. in a coma. And that's where my life changed forever on 2009. Um, I was in a lot of fear. The real estate market was crashing. Um, I mean, crashing around mm-hmm. us. I had a bunch of inventory on the ground. Um, I was scared. I wasn't talking to anybody. And I went to the gas station on Northwest Highway, right there by Bachman Lake. At the time, that was the only gas station close that had diesel. Um, Cause I had a 250 truck, one of my many cars, I had a diesel truck and I went there to get diesel and Wayne as God is my witness. I went there and I put my credit card in the gas in the stripe. The strip was not working. I went inside to pay for my gas and I walked out with an 18 pack of Coors Light and two packs of cigarettes mm. like that. I opened that first beer in the parking lot as my truck is fueling. And I was a social drinker for about eight minutes and I was off to the races from that day forward. I lost my company. I lost my wife. I lost my boys. I had not seen nor talked to my boys in 11 years, 11 years. Um, there was some malicious, malicious things being done to me that weren't okay. That were not godly. Okay, but I made it real easy for people to dogpile me because I was drinking and doing drugs again. See, we told you he would go back out. We knew he would go back out. And so my anger and resentment was so high, so high Mm -hmm. that I I could not get enough in me to make the pain go away. I immediately went back to that day when I was 10 years old in the front yard that summertime. And I wanted that. Ah. That's what I was chasing. Mm-hmm. Ah. And when you got a head full of recovery and a belly full of booze, it's a bad mixture. You can't get numb. So let me pause there. So yeah. you, how long did you stay sober from Betty Ford till that moment in the parking lot? There's a difference between sober and dry. Well, but dry. Maybe six years. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. So, you, so that's a, that was a long stretch, though. But Yeah, maybe six years. But there was maybe i mean i went i'll never forget i went and got my eyes done and the real motive for getting my eyes lifted was i wanted morphine you know what i mean so i was i was um i was on i was on psychiatric medicine they missed my diagnosed me as bipolar i mean i I was taking all sorts of psych meds and i mean so as far as just true sobriety Mm -hmm. what i feel today probably nothing okay now i look back at it okay um was i working a program no um i was just I was just ripping and running without beer in my hand. 
But once I got that alcohol back in my system, <clears throat> I was back into really true active addiction. In 2009, I went to um, an adult establishment by myself. Um, I bought a large amount of cocaine. I was intoxicated. I was driving on the highway, and I got pulled over by the Dallas Police Department, and I was arrested. And this is where it really takes off because when I was arrested um, on a second-degree felony of a large amount of controlled substance, I um, sat there in jail, and I said, this is it. I've, 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 hit, I've hit the bottom. I, I, I can't live this way. I've, I'm, I've become that guy I said I would never be. Mm-hmm. Wayne, I sat there. I didn't cry out to God, but I promised that I was never going to drink and do drugs again, and I meant it. I really meant it, all right? I got bonded out that night, and I was drunk and high within two hours. Within two hours. Mm. That's where I realized I was powerless over this disease. 26 mugshots later. That was my first mugshot, my first arrest. 26 mugshots later, I finally put the sword down. I, when I look at my mugshots and when I go speak and when I did the Care Dallas breakfast, that's where it really hit me. Um, they run my mugshots in this opening, mm -hmm. you know, that they do. And the common denominator in every one of those mugshots was spiritual bankruptcy. Yeah, we could say drugs and alcohol and all that. Yeah, that's all there. But the real root of the problem was spiritual bankruptcy. There was no God, no God. And so I could never answer the simple question when I would get released or finally get out. I did, I, mean, I did everything in the Texas Department of Correction that's offered. Judge Jennifer Bennett, she's still, you know, on the bench. And um, by default, I'm very close with her um, mm -hmm. to this day. I'm also very close to a lot of judges at the Dallas <laughs> County Courthouse and also up and down Interstate 35, McLennan mm -hmm. County and uh, uh, Bell County. And, but I could never answer the question, what's different now? So if I were to get out and you say, okay, Michael, um, what's different now? Why should we believe you? Okay. I could never answer the question until now. Mm -hmm. On May 29th, 2017, which is coming up, May 29, 2017, I was apprehended um, in the M Streets by 25 Dallas police officers. And I was taken in um, on an assault charge. And I was going to go to prison for a long time. I violated my probation again. Um, I was dirty. I had nine dirty UAs that were on file. Um, Judge Bennett's dad was dying. She had enough of me. Mm -hmm. She had enough of me. And I was sitting in jail, and they put me in the North Tower on the fourth floor, which is the rock and roll floor. This is where the bad boys live. And I was in the tank with murderers, um, dark as it's dark as it can be. Mm -hmm. If you want to get to the depths of hell, that's where I was at. And I went in there and I wanted to die. 
and I could not breathe. And I was pacing. I was walking around like crazy, and they called me Rabbit. That was my jail name, Rabbit, because I was, I was a white guy, uh, proper. Um, they thought I was either a cop or gay. They were, they, they were trying to figure out what I was. And I immediately you know, earned some respect just by just staying in my lane. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, and I'll never forget that I used to do really hard time. And what hard time is is when you're incarcerated and you're in your head thinking about the past of what a piece of crap you are. That's such a horrible feeling. And in order to stop feeling that way, I would jump to the future and start thinking about the future. And, it would, and the anxiety was just overwhelming, okay? So I'm going back and forth doing hard time. And I'm sitting in my jail cell, and this old guy comes into my tank who's a murderer, He's doing life, and he was back on a bench warrant for parole, something. And he was 75 years old, and his name was Oo-Wee. <laughs> That's what they called him, Oo-Wee from Oak Cliff. Mm. And he was illiterate, and he couldn't read and couldn't write. And he said, yo, Rabbit, let me tell you something. You're doing hard time. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you got to get out of that world. He says, your mind is so out in that world, they're going to eat you up in prison. You are out in that world. You are making people nervous. I said, what do you mean? He says, he says let me ask you something. Will you read to me? I said, what are you talking about? He says, will you read to me? And I said, well, I don't have anything to read. Now, here's another show you can do, okay? The hardest book to get in the public school district is what? The Bible, oh, yeah. all right? The books that are just laying around everywhere in prison are the Bible. So the yeah. first book you get in prison is the Bible. The last book you get in the public school district is the Bible. Yeah. You think we got this messed up? Yeah. So anyways, I go up to this Black Panther gangbanger's tank, our cell, and I said, man, can I borrow your a book to read? And he hands me a brand new Bible. Not only is it a Bible, it is a life recovery Bible, new living translation. Mm. Don't give me King James Version. I can't understand <laughs> yeah. that. But new living translation. Yeah. And I go downstairs uh, down to my room, and I start reading this Bible to Uwe. Now, it's just black words on white paper, all right? And he's like, yeah. He said, hey, read, who's Luke? Tell me who Luke is. And so I'm looking through the Bible, and I'm reading about Luke, and I'm reading to him about John, and then I'm reading to him. The next thing I know, Wayne, four days go by. And I haven't been called to court yet, but four days go by. I wasn't anxious. I wasn't paranoid. I wasn't feeling guilty. I had no shame and for the first time in my life, I had peace. And I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what that feeling was. So I kept reading this Bible to him. Then he would fall asleep, and I would read it all night long. And little but little did I know I was doing what's called easy time. Now, on 529-2017, when I was arrested, if they would have let me out on 62, 61, 530. I would have drank and used again. Mm -hmm. I would have gone back out. On 7-7-17, seven, seven, 
I still have not seen Judge Bennett yet. On 7-7-17, I'm in my top bunk. I am awoken at the middle of the night with a chest, not pain, but tightness in my chest that I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, I just start puking, not with air, these feelings of anger, resentment, everything just coming out of me, supernatural. It was like the, the movie Green Mile. I talk mm-hmm. about that, the flies coming out. Everything's just coming out, and I just take this deep breath, and I'm full of love. I mean, just love. I mean, I just, I, I'm looking around. I'm looking out, and I see the guards walk. I go, I love that guy. I love her. I love him. And I'm in the rock and roll tank. I love ooh-wee, and I love all this stuff. And as soon as they opened up the, the, the doors for chow, I asked that Black Panther, I said, I would always give his Bible back to him because mm-hmm. it was a pillow. He didn't read it. It was his pillow, okay? I said, I got to have that Bible. I got to have it. I got to have it. He goes, all right, go ahead and read it. I go, I go. how, how much for it? He goes, man, I, so I bought the Bible for 10 soups. Okay, I had, I would, I would, the way I made money was I would write letters for people because they mm-hmm. didn't know how to write, so they'd pay me a soup. That's how they did it. So I got up enough soups that I bought the Bible with using 10 soups. And I started studying this Bible. I had this spiritual awakening like no other, and I became free. Judge Bennett calls me down to court. I go down to court. They give me a court-appointed attorney. I'm broke. I'm homeless. Mm -hmm. I'm indigent. They stamped my card indigent. I had nobody I could write down. I had nobody. I was getting no guests, no letters, no money, nothing. It was me, just me. I hit rock bottom again. And finally, I realized that this rock I kept hitting every time at the bottom was God. So I stayed at the bottom. See, every time I get to the bottom, I would get myself out of it. I would use the same tools that got me to the bottom to get out of the bottom, right? You wanted to get back to the top where you thought it all was. And I was going to make a comeback. I was going to show Benchmark Bank, I'm going to make a comeback. And guess what was fueling me? Resentments. It wasn't God. It was anger and resentment, and it was rocky. I was going to be rocky. You know, I played the rocky music, but what was fueling me was resentments. That's all I knew. What, what, that was, that's what would drive me. So when I went and saw Judge Bennett, I'm going to drop a name here. He, he, this is a Park City's guy. William Fay, who is an attorney, and he actually sits as a judge in the town of Holland Park, okay? He is my court-appointed attorney, all right? And he's open about this. He's been sober for like 30 years, okay? And he comes in there, and he's like, man, I, this is crazy. I said, get me in front of Judge Bennett. He goes, well, we're not going to do open plea. I said, no, I'm not doing any of this. Get me in front of Judge Bennett. She knows me. He's like, what? So he goes and talks to Judge Bennett, and he comes back, and he's just shocked. He's like going, are, y- are y'all, is she related to you? This lady loves you. And I'm like, I've been in the system since 2009. Let me make sure I understand this. Why were you called back in front of her again? Because was when it I the got sentencing a, period or what was happening? Yeah, because when I was arrested on 529, I didn't I did not go in front of the judge until 7-7-17. Okay, so you, this was just the second phase of the arrest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I hadn't even been sentenced yet. Okay, got it. I went in there. And she looked at me and she says, Michael, you're going to mind somebody and you're going to mind me. I have to send you to prison. I said, Judge, I'm already free. I'm already free. She knew something happened. All I could think about, Wayne, was getting back to my tank and preaching. 
because I started, it was preaching, but what I was doing was speaking. I turned this murder tank, God used me to turn this murder tank into the most spiritual tank. Guards were like just watching stuff happen in this tank, mm-hmm. all right? There was this ramp that I would get up on after evening chow and preach, okay? And I would talk, and I would make every, I would motivate. I start, this is where I started my radio show. I didn't know what I was doing, okay? And I would just get everybody fired up because I was so addicted to serving others because I was doing easy time. Mm-hmm. I did not want to think about the future. I did not want to think about the past. I wanted to live in the now because I was realizing the safest place is right here, right now, because that's where God's at. Okay. See, Satan wants me to go in the future alone. Mm-hmm. Satan wants me to go in the past alone because Satan can try to get me. Because Satan wants me to grab the thoughts that God allows Satan to put out there. Because once I grab the thought and put it in my head, then it turns into sin. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what Satan wants. But if I'm right here, right now, staying out of self and serving you, we let God in and win. Right. So I'm sitting there. And so this book is introduced to me called Detours by Dr. Tony Evans. And I read this book, and it changes my life. The Bible comes alive to me, all right? I go see the judge. She sends me to Henderson, Texas for two years. Prison. Let's go, baby. We're going to prison. And she's like, because I was always coming in there with my hustle on, trying to tell her who I am and how important I am. Mm -hmm. And I had nothing. But she would always give me a chance, okay? I was going to prison. I catch chain, all right? I go down to Bell County. I had to go do some paperwork down there on my way to prison. I was supposed to be there for two weeks. I was there for four months. They put me in the rock and roll tank at Bell County, aggravated assault tank. And I go in there. I walk in there. I sit down. I'm doing my daily routine, working in my Bible, journaling, writing, reading, and studying. One guy comes and sits down with me. He goes, hey, man, what, what's, what, who are you? I said, they call me Rabbit. And I said, what's up, Rabbit? All right. And I start, and the pile of people gets bigger and bigger around me. And I literally start sharing my experience, strength, and hope to these men. On October 13th, 2017, on a Friday, people who've been incarcerated understand this. Nothing happens on Fridays when you're incarcerated. Nothing. They just hunker down, get through the weekend. Nine o'clock in the morning, October 13th, 2017, they come over the intercom. They say, Michael Moulton, bunk and junk. They let me free. The guards come in. I've got my pink paper, my carbon paper, my prison paper. I've got my number, destination, everything. And the guards don't know what's going on. They said, the state of Texas has just released you. And I said, that's impossible. You can't really. I'm, I'm, and they go, we agree. We don't know what's going on. The warden says, get him out of here. He is no longer the property of the state of Texas, and they release me. Mm. I walk out of that institution with the clothes that I had on May 29, 2017. I'm bald. I'm shaved bald. I walk out. I'm over 300 miles away, and it's the first time that I turn to God. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? And he literally told me, I could hear it in my voice, walk. I just started walking. I said, where do I go, God? Go downtown Belton. I go to downtown Belton. I walk into adult probation. They see me. 
they go, they had just met with me like two weeks before, okay? They said, what are you doing here? I said, exactly. Y'all need to rearrest me and put me back in. There's been a major technicality. They get on the computer. They say, the state of Texas has released you. We don't know what to do. I said, call Judge Bennett. See, Judge Bennett became my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> call Judge Bennett. They call Judge Bennett's office, and Judge Bennett goes, what? They said, here's the deal. You tell him to be in my court Monday morning at 930. They said, okay, Judge Bennett, your honor, we got you. They hang the phone up. They look at me, and they say, you need to be in court Monday morning at 930. I said, that's great. How do I get there? I literally have nothing, Wayne. Nothing. I have a plastic bag with my sword, which is this Bible. Mm-hmm. That's the brand new Bible. Okay. That's, you know, your life's together when your Bible is taped together and falling apart, right? Is that the Bible from That's it. the this is prison? The, this is the one that that guy uses a pillow that I bought with tin soups. I mean, I've got tape on there, I've got, mm-hmm. I've got deodorant tape holding pages in. Um, this is my sword. This goes wherever I go. And it's swollen up like a sponge. It's got coffee stains on it. I mean, it's it's just, and then there's my book, The Detours book. And I had these books, and the ladies were so nice there. She literally goes to her desk, opens her drawer, gets two packs of peanut butter crackers, gives them to me. The manager comes in. The head of probation comes in. He says, you're not going to believe this. He says, we have a benevolence fund. There's $86 in our benevolence fund. He says, the state of Texas is letting us buy you a bus ticket to get back to Dallas. But you have to get to Temple. Okay? I said, no problem. All right? So, I don't have an ID. They had the bus ticket at will call. So, they print off one of my mug shots for my ID. Mm. So I walk from Belton to Temple. So this is a total of 70 something miles, okay? With no money. And as I'm walking, I'm walking through a church parking lot and there's two guys sitting on the back of their car. And I asked them if I could use the restroom. They said, yeah. And they said, what's going on? What's your story? I had a plastic bag and I said, man, I just got released. And they said, really? The guy gave me $7. Interesting, the number seven. He gives me $7. I go to Jack in the Box and eat. I get to Greyhound, and I literally lay down on the bench and fall asleep. I am awoken with flashlights in my head from the Temple Police Department. They said, sir, are you down on your luck? I said, I don't know. (laughs) And they said, said, do you have any ID? And I said, no. I said, here's my mugshot. Please run my name and arrest me. I am a four-time felon, and I need you to arrest me. Apprehend me because there's been a mistake. They call my name in, and they come back over the speaker, and they say, cleared. No charges. Nothing. I'm like, what is going on? I get on the bus. I go home. My mom, I call my mom. I haven't talked to my mom in years. I said, can you please come get me? She picks me up. She feeds me. She does tough love. She says, you can stay here tonight, but that's it. My mom drives me to the courthouse, drops me off, and I'm excited. I said, Mom, I'll call you when I get out. 
because I'm going back to prison. I walk into the courthouse on Monday. This is Friday. Now it's Monday, 15 minutes early to court. When I walk into court, now when I'm walking, I'm limping. I've got blisters because I've been walking. Mm -hmm. I'm sunburned. I'm sore because I haven't walked at all. I'm in prison. You know, I'm not out there walking around. I'm in a tank. And I walk in, and I literally walk up to Judge Bennett, and she sees me. And she looked at me, and adult probation is there. They don't know what's going on. William Fay's there, the attorney. He's there. Everybody's freaking out. The, the first time in the state of Texas that someone's been accidentally released after signing to go to prison, okay? There's no, there's, there's no hold, no nothing. They mm-hmm. released me. And Judge Bennett says, Michael, there's obviously someone a lot bigger in your life working than me. I've heard what you've been doing. I've heard. Because people were coming to her inmates saying that I'd been helping them. Okay? She says, I want you to go pay it forward, and I'm going to set you free. She tore my papers up. She says, I want you to come back tomorrow with the self-correct program. I want to know what you're going to be doing, and I want you to go pay it forward. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, okay, I leave there. I'm homeless, Wayne. Mm. I've got nothing, nothing. I think my mom, my mom gave me like ten. No, my mom didn't give me anything. Uh, someone from Alcoholics Anonymous gave me forty dollars. Okay, I went to the Salvation Army, checked into the Salvation Army. This is a guy that I was a client of Benchmark Bank. I, this is a guy who was building, um, managing $30 million of revenue a year easily. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that was managing trust accounts and, and having millions of dollars every Thursday and Friday going through the books, drawing money to pay vendors. All right, I'm homeless. I go to the Salvation Army and I go to the cafeteria to eat. And the women that are volunteering to feed the homeless are my homeowners. They don't even recognize me. Mm -hmm. The next day I go and I check on my dad. My mom and dad got divorced while I was in prison. Very devastating. Um, So I go check on my dad because his health is horrible. And his name is the same as mine. And he says, Michael, this guy keeps calling looking for you. I said, what's new? You know, everybody's looking. Yeah, you know, I thought someone I owed money to, you know, and thank God I didn't owe hardly any money to anybody. And um, I called him, and it's Brian Glenn. Brian Glenn ran the longtime show, Business in the Know. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do a story on me, like, where did Michael Moulton go? This home builder that was way out there, always on social media, you know, very outspoken and, where has he gone? So this is Wednesday. I'm released on Friday, in court Monday, and I'm on the Brian Glenn show Wednesday. And I tell him the story that I just told y'all. And he says, wow, this makes sense. Where have you disappeared to? What year was this? I said, Brian, this was Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, I've been out of prison three days and he got silent that's when iHeartRadio heard it and that's when I started telling my story mm-hmm. and the rest is just blown up and God does not play 
Let me tell you what's different today. In order for God to set me free, I had to set everyone around me free. I had to set the people around me free that was holding me hostage. The word forgiveness means so much to me today. Um, Matthew 6, 14. You know, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to do that, you know, and I wanted to know how to pray. And so I'm in prison. I'm like going, you know, God, how do I pray, you know? And so I looked at the back of this Bible, like prayer, how to pray. And it took me to Matthew chapter 6, and I read the Lord's Prayer. And as I'm reading it, um, on, in Matthew chapter 6, um, it's interesting because as I'm reading it, it's teaching me how to pray, all right? And as I read it, on Matthew chapter 6, and what you are hearing is I'm turning the pages, so. Yes. Um, Matthew chapter 6, that's Mark. Anyways, I can quote it, but Matthew chapter 6, as I'm reading it, here it is. I'm reading this, and it's I'm walking through this, and th- this is where my life changed. I got to 614, and it says, if, not when, if. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And what that told me right there, I said, if I don't do this verse, this Bible doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. You know? So I said, so my translation is, is that when I forgive the ones who have sinned against me, who have hurt me, who have done me wrong, God will bless your game. And when I did that, this is what God did. He let me out of prison. You're allowed to give up all the anger, frustration, and right. Yeah. I, I drank and did drugs. I drank and did drugs because I don't know how to process fear, Wayne. Yeah. I don't know how to process fear. Today I do. So it's awesome. I mean, it's it's awesome and frightening and everything. It, mm-hmm. it captures every emotion. You know, we do want to – I love helping people and giving practical tips, so I'm curious about a few things. You had to come back to the judge with a sober solution. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like? Because this can help people, right? It, it, I don't believe you went back to a Betty Ford-type clinic. So what, what – what did that look like? What did you take to the judge, and is that what you actually executed on? Yes, the great question. Uh, recovery is a simple program for complicated people like me. Mm-hmm. And so I basically went to her, and I said, Judge, this is what I'm going to do. Number one, I, I'm going to attend support group meetings. I'm going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. Okay, I drank alcohol. I did drugs every day. I'm going to go to meetings every day. Support group meetings are a 12-step recovery group, and I'm I'm surrounding myself with other men that are in recovery from drugs and alcohol. I'm going to get a sponsor, an accountability partner, a mentor, Mm -hmm. okay, to walk me through these 12 steps. And I'm going to get knee deep into the literature of the Bible and into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a book that can be bought and used for all sorts of stuff. That's what has been suggested to me. And she says, perfect. That's simple. Go to meetings, work the steps, and get a mentor or a sponsor. And I did. I do those three things today. And that was AA, I guess, was your choice. That's of, correct. I, I mean, there's other, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't represent any group, but that, that's, a, that's a group out there that's highly suggested for recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I do want to reflect back on a few things because details are important to mm-hmm. me. Your wife, one thing I don't think was clear, your your wife had a severe aneurysm 
what and that was a three-year recovery what what happened to her so she had what's called an AVM, uh-huh. um, and I don't know the different, but it's where basically the inside of your brain blows up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't spoken to her or seen her. Um, the, the divorce was very, it was ugly. Um, but as far as I know, she's doing better today. Mm-hmm. She's challenged. She can't drive from what I heard. <clears throat> can't see out of mm-hmm. one part of her eye. Um I hear she's remarried, and um, and that's all I know. Yeah. You know, the, the, probably the what I think would be a struggle, and it's it's what we call with Nobushe and some other men I work with, right? Kind of the unholy triumphant with the shame, fear, and guilt. I believe a lot of people that I speak to, and I, and I work with a lot of men in the sense of just trying to when they're depressed and. How do you process shame and guilt today? Ooh. Because I know that's creeping at your doorstep. Because Great that's question. what gets to the, the people I've seen that struggle, they can't, it starts to eat at them again. Yeah. Great question. And I have an answer to it. Yeah. Um, the first thing I challenge people is to do word studies. You know, understand what guilt is and what shame is. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a huge difference. Okay. I'll tell you this shame is the devil, shame, shame is Satan. Shame's a lie. Shame is telling me that I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. That's simple. You'll never amount to anything. There's no God in that at all. That's not who God is. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I feel guilty, it's because I'm guilty, right? But guilty is an opportunity. Guilt is an opportunity to do a moral inventory on my immoral behavior with a godly man, a mentor to look at what role I play in it and what do I need to do to change the behavior and make it right. I just dolled up the word repentance. Okay. I get to repent and confess when I repent and I confess, I'm giving God permission to show me grace. That's the great thing about when I'm guilty, there's an opportunity for me to grow. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, I learn from it. And when I learn from it, guess what happens? My faith becomes bigger. And that is the big, that is the difference between guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Shame will kill me. And there has to be a point of, this is, is healthy for, and I'm a people pleaser too. So, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, that's hard to shake. And there's, there's good parts of that as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you also have to, I believe, you know, at some point release that you can't control the way other people reacting to you or what you've done, right? I mean, it, it, that's just such a circular path. And then I, I think another thing, we've, you and I touched on this briefly, and I'm sure this, this nips at your heels, is the success you had was epic. You were in the top 1% of 1%. Mm-hmm. The death of joy is comparison. Do you, ever, do you ever have that feeling, I want to get back there? Yeah. <laughs> this is a good one. Yeah, I am. Um... Um, I don't know how to do it. That's, that's, that's just as honest as I can be. The way that I did it before, it was legal, but it was just so, I wasn't honest with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I look back at my past life, I miss my boys tremendously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but that's it. I mean, I, today I am, I'm week to week, you know, I got a great job, you know, um, I love what I do. I work for God. Um, money scares me. 
mm-hmm. know, it's a drug to me. It's the, the thrill of the deal. I'm trying to learn how to be financially successful and spiritually sound at the same time. Um, and I pray about it. Yeah, that would be difficult. I can completely see that, which is if you start getting hugely successful again or just people dumping money on you, what what does that beast do? And, and, and I know you would control it, but I can yeah. see how that would be frightening. But you want to be successful and provide, I do. right? I so, do. But it's a, I get that. That'd be scary. It's very scary. And, um, and, and, I, and I see what God's doing. I, I just see it happening, mm-hmm. you know? Um, listen, I tell everybody, if I want to go make money, I'll quit all this and go in the real estate game again yeah. and go hustle. Go start. I go flip two deals and get back in the game. But I don't want to put God on the shelf. Well, Dr. Rob Carmen has been very helpful in my life, who I've had on the show. Um, he heard me just talking about a lot about success, and and not in, in and I'm pretty balanced. But he said, Wayne, you're gonna to have to learn. You can live a life of significance, or you can live a life of success. Yeah. And choose significance. It doesn't mean you can't be successful, but it's really what is the intention of it. Right. right, and the significance is just more important. Dr. Tony Evans said something, and, and my my spiritual mentors are is Dr. Jeff Warren and Dr. Tony Evans. Mm-hmm. Those are my homeboys right there. Okay, and um, Dr. Tony Evans says it's so great. He says God's not interested in celebrities. He's not interested in celebrities. He wants servants, and that's my focus is to mm-hmm. serve. You know, to serve. Listen, I'm getting everything I need today. I got to drive here, you know, I, 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 I ate today, I'm going to eat tonight, my rent's paid, my electric's paid, my water's paid, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, if I had $20 million today, I can say this, if I had $20 million today, I'd be sitting right here, right now, with you, and then going to the Country Music Network after this, mm-hmm. nothing's going to change, I'm still doing the same thing. Um I just don't want any, I, I am here. My biggest fear is, 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 um, is putting something between me and God. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that again. That's why you have to check it every day, right? Yeah. I just don't want to do that again. So that's a good pivot to let's talk about your current work. Okay. So at the end, I'll get to where everybody can find you, but what are you, you said work. Tell, tell people a little about the show and then, you know, the work you're doing, speaking engagements, talk about your fiance a little bit. Yeah. So I, um, um, found love again mm-hmm. and, um, um, I never thought that I would, and she's in long-term recovery, Rachel Stacy. Mm-hmm. She's a national recording artist, very talented, very involved in recovery. Um, ever since we have been together, she's become very open about her recovery. Her big fear was is that if the people thought that she wasn't drinking, that she would lose gigs. Um, she's actually gotten more, mm-hmm. you know, since she's be- be- become open. Um, and then I am the host of a show called M to the Rock. Uh, so M2 is Michael Mulfin, mm-hmm. MM, and then The Rock was, uh, you know, every time I kept hitting The Rock at the bottom, mm-hmm. um, I finally realized that that rock was God. And so we talk about drug addiction, we talk about alcoholism, we talk about process addiction, we talk about hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but most importantly, we talk about solutions to these problems. We don't, this is not a platform where we get revenge, we, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about opinions we we get to the root of the problem and the root of the problem is we talk about spiritual solutions for human problems how in the heck am i staying sober today not dry sober mm-hmm. you know sober is living in the spirit living in the spiritual realm living in the now and so that's what we talk about on a daily basis we have great guests on the show 
Uh, we have non-believers on the show. We have um, non-addicts, non-alcoholics on the show. We have celebrities on the show because now it's become diversified because um, um, I've come to the clinic. We're all addicts. We're addicted to sin. Mm-hmm. You know, we are addicted to sin. And um, if I don't recognize that and get honest, my life will be unmanageable. So that's what we talk about. So it's M to the Rock. And it's real simple. M to the Rock, letter M, number two, therock.com. Just go there and you can get to all of our platforms. It, but we're live five nights a week. Yep. And you're involved with, do you talk about that openly? You're involved with the Recovery Center as well, right? I am. I, so I'm employed by Healing Springs Ranch, yeah. which is one hour north of the Dallas Fort Worth area. Incredible. I pursued them. I actually had a lot of treatment centers that were pursuing me uh, because of my following. Um, we get a lot of people that reach out and ask for help. I, I'm not an advocate or something like that. I just, but I work, I wanted to be a part of a treatment center that I could work at. Mm-hmm. So I literally work at the treatment center one day a week. I'm there for three hours and work with the residents. So I perform group, um, and I get to bring God into the treatment center. Mm-hmm. I get to be that guy introducing 12 step recovery to the residents I educate the residents of what recovery looks like when they leave the treatment center. Mm-hmm. Um, I share my personal experience, strength, and hope. You know, hey, I get it. You're coming to treatment. We're suggesting that you don't drink and do drugs anymore. We're suggesting that you get honest. And we suggest that you might want to look into Casper the Friendly Ghost as being your higher power. And they're like going, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I go in there and share my story, what I just shared with you, that you know God could and would if he were sought. Okay, right. Healing Springs Ranch. Healing Springs and, and Ranch. I have somebody to show notes, so all this will be referenced in the awesome. show notes. Awesome. Because I want, that's a resource for somebody, right? It's a great resource, if, and they do, they are... They're, they're awesome. They're the is it best. all addiction recovery, or is it mental they health do, as well? Or? They do dual diagnosis, mental health, PTSD. Uh, they do um, um, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, diso- you know, dissociation disorder, um, schizophrenia. They, mm-hmm. they handle everything. Melissa caldwell Engel is the absolute best. Okay. She's the best. Okay, good. So I'm going to ask a few questions here uh, as we begin to wrap up. This is a loaded one for you. What would you tell your 16-year-old self today? Mm. I would, um, what are you afraid of? You know, what's, what's, um, what's blocking, what, who do you, what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What do you want to be? Uh, my 16-year-old self was drinking, mm-hmm. okay? Um, you don't have to live this way. You never have to feel this way ever again. And I want to challenge you to reach out to another man who is in recovery. Okay? We suggest that men work with men, women work with women. Reach out to another man in recovery and let him tell his story to you. And just listen to him. Okay, so I'm going to take a little longer today because I want to get to this. So I, I, I would consider myself an amateur biohacker. Right? Today I already included... Seven minutes, the inversion table, cold shower, right? All these things that you do to jumpstart the system. You're way over my head right uh, there. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, but what, what are, this is actually really good. And I found myself in the quarantine getting further from some of my quiet mm-hmm. times, the things that keep me sane, for lack of a better word, or keep me close to God and my meditation. What do you do daily? And this isn't a list of 50 things. 
what do you do daily from a habit or routine standpoint that that keeps you where you are currently? Well, I love this quarantine. I really do mm-hmm. because it reminds me of the good times of incarceration. There's parts of incarceration that I miss mm-hmm. um, where life is slow, um, life is simple. Um, it's almost like someone just lobbing a softball up that you get to hit out of the park. You know what I mean? Life's just slowing down. I love it. Um, you know, I, I stay in consistent contact with God. I hear God, I'm hearing God a lot louder now. Um, and my, I want to serve my fiance. You know, I, I want to be able, I want to be able to get out of this quarantine and look back at it and say, man, I thank God for that quarantine because it really got me back on the beam. You know what I mean? Um, it's real simple. I just conscious contact with God, you know, prayer, prayer. Listen, I don't have time for King James version prayers. Mm -hmm. You know, I get on it. I talk to God, like I'm talking to you, Wayne, you know, God, I need you. I need you, bro. I I need you. I mean, I, I am, I'm grateful for you. We cannot forget to tell God what we're grateful for. God, thank you for a mattress. I don't think you realize how grateful I am for a mattress. This is a guy that slept on $10,000 Tempur-Pedic mattress, you know, and I was sleeping on a metal, on a metal, you know, plank, mm-hmm. you know, I had calluses on my hips, you know, um, I'm so thankful for the little things. I'm, so your routine, the, I mean, so it's you, you quiet time in the morning or prayer or I'm, I'm not good at that. I, 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 I try to, I'll wake up in the morning and I want to get close to God and I'll look at Facebook immediately. I I catch myself, you know, I catch myself relapsing, you know? Um, so my routine is, is I, is I listen to Dr. Tony Evans in the morning. I put his, you know, put the ears in and listen to him. I've really listened to him all day long. Um, and then I go into my office. Um, I get into the word, um, either in the morning or at night. Um, and then, um, you know, and I just keep I keep it real simple. Well, yeah. So the, the, that that theme is very simple. You're just and I I did I do the same thing myself. You're tempting to stay connected to God all day. Yes, that's why I have ninety point nine on all day. Mm. Even well, there's a couple pastors I turn off, but we won't get into that. But <laughs> but I keep. I love it when Evans comes on and yeah. And so I'm similar like that. It's just in the background. Like working out today was praise music for mm. me. Right. Mm. Just in the background, at least filling my mind. I'm like you, I'll get in the Facebook rabbit hole and that gets into the comparison and the people pleasing. And yeah, I mean, it is a dangerous game. Um, Mine's more engagement. I engage with people from the show before. So I'm helping people, right. you know, I get into well, it's that. an incredible tool, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to get as much into the quarantine today, but I just want listeners to know, and I'm going to just simplify it that I know that there's people struggling with mental health right now. I know there's people struggling with addiction. My class at church is a microcosm. My brother and I lead a class of over a hundred people and we're seeing, you know, porn usage go up yeah. infidelity, job loss, um, addiction. I mean, these are men coming to me about them and or their children and, we're in the one percent. Yeah. Right. So there's our character defects are live on stage right now. Right. And so it's it's there's a pandemic that's going to come behind this one, which is mental health, um, domestic abuse, et cetera. So I just want listeners to know, you know, Michael's here to help. He's got resources. Absolutely. I have resources. You know how to find both of us. So that's really important that if you're out there right now in a ditch, you are not alone. That's that's what I always hammer on people that 
you feel alone, but you aren't. I mean, I got depressed yesterday, and, and my life is great. I just got upset with some of the, the narrative being sent down from the top down and just this, just frustrated with the situation. And, um, boy, you have to give it over to God right now. But it, it's important. I know someone's going to listen to it and be touched. And I've also had suicide in my life from friends, and you know, that's a really bad decision at the wrong time. Right. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a, and I'm sure you've you've tried it one many and times. I'm sure you've contemplated many it times. many times. Heck, I I um, I thought of suicide in um, in early sobriety. I mean, I'm I, and this is just recently, not nearly not you know in the last you know three years yeah. because the the pain gets so bad. I am experiencing. I for the first dude. I'm I struggle with spiritual warfare. You know what I'm doing, man. Satan wants to take me out. You know what I mean. I struggle with it and mm-hmm. um. So I keep my circles real small, you know, and it almost comes across as paranoia, but not keep it real small. And um, I don't want anything to get between me and God. I'm very content today. I am so different today, Wayne. It's just, it's so different. I have no idea why, but I'm compelled to ask this question. I think it's a God thing because I don't know what your answer is going to be, but I don't know. It just hit me a minute ago. What what is the thing? What is the biggest lie that's ever been told to you? Been told to me? Yeah, either from the devil or by others that that man. Um, I, I, I guess the word that comes to my head is to say is betrayal. Uh, you know, I, I never, I never understood the bad things that were done to me. Those are the things that I I couldn't let go of mm-hmm. that I finally did. That's what kept me drunk and high. Mm-hmm. The bad things that I did, bro, I admitted it. I accepted it. I mean, man, I was a, I was crazy. I, I get it, okay? But the things that were done to me, I just, I just, you know, the loss of my boys, you know, the, 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 the manipulation and the brainwashing and whatever it is, or whatever it is, why God doesn't have my boys in my life today, I don't understand it. Um, I understood it back then, but I don't understand today. Listen, here's what recovery is. Michael Moulton's not a bad guy. Michael Moulton has never been a bad guy, okay? Um, Michael Moulton was a very sick person, all right? And recovery is not about getting good. Recovery is about getting well. Mm-hmm. We're not bad people getting good. That's not what we're trying to do. We're sick people trying to get well, you know? I've never ever, ever woken up in the morning wanting to hurt anybody. Ever. Never. But I've woken up a lot wanting to hurt myself. Mm-hmm. You mentioned depression. 100% of the times when I'm depressed is because I'm thinking about me. That's why I'm depressed. But ooh we taught me. If I read to him, I was never depressed when I was reading to him. Mm-hmm. This show right now, as we are talking, I haven't felt depression at all. Why? Because I'm in the now, and I'm out of self. Mm-hmm. It's the safest place in the world. But you put me in my head alone, it's like a bad playground. I'm going to get shot. You know, Satan wants me to go into the future alone. Okay? Now someone will say, well, what about planning? You know, you got to plan. Wayne, you're, you're a financial advisor. you got to plan you dang right, God wants us to plan with him. That's hope. Right. That's hope. 
So when we feel hope, it means we are in the future holding God's hand. That's what hope is. When we go into the past with God, that's gratitude. Mm -hmm. That's what gratitude is. And so there's a, there's a big difference. God wants us to plan, but he wants to be a part of the plan. It's brilliant. Okay, so the fast five, uh -oh. which is, it's, it's easy. I just, I, the big five F that we talked about, oh, yeah. what I like to do is I throw the word out and you just answer in a word or sentence what it means to you. Okay. Okay, so it's, it's real simple. So the fast five, the five Fs, and I'm just going to say the word, then you express what it means to you in a word or sentence or two. Mm -hmm. Faith. Is an action. Is an action, okay. Family. Priceless. Friends. Connection. Fitness. God's temple. Finances. Scary. Scary. Yeah. I get it. So last, before we get off, where the easiest way people find you and follow you immediately is where? M2therock.com. Just Google it just, and then, yeah, and then just, get you on Facebook, YouTube. Yeah, all the links, all the okay. links are there. And um, um, I want to end with something. I feel yeah. led by the Spirit to say this. Mm -hmm. As a parent, how can people help? You know, our kids, mm -hmm. all right? If you're listening to this, I want to challenge every dad out there to take back the dinner table. I really want to challenge, you know, in this quarantine, what a great opportunity for dads to take back the dinner table. Let's put our phones down. Let's turn our TVs off. Let's have dinner. And I want to challenge you dads to become the spiritual leader of the household. Mm -hmm. Not the control freak, not the boss. That's not what it's about. The spiritual leader of the household, mm -hmm. because that's the way God engineered us to be. I promise you, dads, if you will start focusing on being a dad, drug addiction and alcoholism will go away. Wayne, 100% of my cellies, my inmates, okay, had little or no relationship with their father. 100% of them. When there was visitation and people would get visits, it was either their baby mama, their grandmother, or their mom. Not one dad came mm -hmm. and visited their son in prison. Okay? Satan, dads, listen to me. Satan is trying to take you out. If he can take the dad out, he destroys the whole family in one swipe. Right? Mm -hmm. Satan works smart. All right? So if he takes out dad, he takes out everybody. So let's take the dinner table back. Let's start praying at the table. And let's show these kids who daddy is. Well, with that, I would say be bold and brave. Yeah. The same thing I tell my kids every time I drop them off for school. And be bold and brave for God. So, Michael Mulfin, M2 to the Rock, <laughs> I just want to say God bless you. Love you, God brother. God bless Thank your work. you. Love you. Thank you. Thank you.